Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, which is on page 1010, so 1010 in your pew Bible. We're going to read this in light of what it is that we confess in Lord's Day 43 in question and answer 112 concerning the ninth commandment. And that deals with not bearing false witness against your neighbor. We'll see something of what that means. And something of that's found in Proverbs 18. Hear the word of God. An unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. He defies all sound judgment. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. When wickedness comes, so does contempt, and with shame comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the innocent of justice. A fool's lips bring him strife, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. A man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. A gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. The first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. Casting the lot settles disputes and keeps strong opponents apart. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled with the harvest from his lips, or from his lips he is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. A poor man pleads for mercy, but a rich man answers harshly. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Then let's together recite the answer to question answer 112. Again, it's the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. And what does that then mean? page 893 in the Trinity and 250 in the Forms and Prayers book. Question answer 112. So then what is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? That I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone, 
under penalty of God's wrath, every kind of lying and deceit, as the very works of the devil, and in court and everywhere else, I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. I should do what I can to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation, as the church does believe. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is hard to tell the truth. It's hard because we know that if dad or mom asks us, did you do that? That that probably means if we say yes and tell the truth, we're going to get into trouble. And we don't want to get into trouble. And so we say no. We don't even have to think about it. It's not even something that we have to try to reason out in our head. We just say no. On the playground, when the teacher talks to us, we just lie because it's the easiest thing to do. When we get a little older, our lying gets a little more sophisticated. We lie now, sometimes not to offend. We say something or we don't say something because we know that if we say it, people are going to get upset, and if they get upset, then that's not going to be nice. And so we don't want things to get uncomfortable. We have these family gatherings that start around this time of the year or are being planned around this time of the year, and you get a big family together. You want to be careful not to say anything too offensive. Otherwise, that'll ruin the family get-together. And so we don't say the truth. And we don't like, we don't like admitting things about ourselves that are uncomfortable, that are maybe embarrassing, maybe shameful. We also lie about ourselves, maybe even sometimes to ourselves, telling ourselves that we're not quite who we are. Sometimes we can even live two different lives. We can leave this outward superficial life where people see us and think that we're this good person and then we have this dark side to us that is filled with sin and and immorality and we tell ourselves we lie to ourselves saying that's not who i am this is who i am i'm the good person i just have this small problem over here but it's just a small problem not a big deal and so we lie to ourselves it's easy to lie it is hard to tell the truth. And it's hard to do that, especially in a world that doesn't value the truth. Our society, the culture in which we live, doesn't even believe truth exists. What I feel, that is true. What I think, that's what's right. And anyone who doesn't agree with me, so our culture goes, must be a terrible person microaggressions which is a lovely phrase for our modern world and it's not surprising that that is the case given some of the philosophical underpinnings deconstructionism and the like in society and universities particularly if you're going to school and for four years your professor tells you that there is no meaning that there is no truth that nothing is as it seems you're bound to believe it 
We also live in a society where politicians have a real hard time telling the truth. Just yesterday at a conference, someone said that you can tell a politician is lying when their lips are moving. This might be a bit harsh, but it's a generalization. It is a general truth for a reason. One of our federal government's politicians the other day said that Canada had always led the way in closing its borders against variants which he knew was a lie, which the media knew was a lie, which everybody knows is a lie. But if you were to stand up and say that's a lie, nobody would bat an eye. They would say, well, what are you talking about? Of course it's a lie, but it doesn't matter. We don't expect him to tell the truth. If you live in a world like that, then telling the truth is really not easy. So how do you navigate a dishonest world? Well, the ninth commandment helps us. A commandment that was originally set in the context of courts. And that's important. It's important to hear the context for the ninth commandment. In those days, in the days of Old Testament Israel, there wasn't DNA evidence and there wasn't fingerprint evidence and that sort of thing. There was, generally speaking, just eyewitnesses. And so the judge would call somebody forth and say, now listen, you have to say, did this person do it or not? Did you see them commit the crime, yes or no? Did he tell you that he did it, yes or no? You had to be a witness. You had to bring testimony. And that testimony would be used by the judge to either find that person guilty and then punish them, or not guilty and set them free. That meant, therefore, that your words had great power. That's the thing you have to see, that words have power. We tell ourselves that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt us. That's a lie. It isn't true. Words hurt way more than sticks and stones ever will. Words have power. Power to condemn someone to say that person did it, punish him. Or to exonerate them, to declare them innocent. That person didn't do it, let them go. And it is that act of judging, that act of either condemning or exonerating a person that, that has, is at the heart of the, the ninth commandment and of what it is that we are to learn, certainly when it comes to our struggle with keeping this commandment. Because we like to exercise power over people. In Proverbs 22, it says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver and gold. So that means that to have a good name, to be well-respected within the culture, within your community, that's very valuable. You should shoot for that. But then what happens if I see that your well-respected, that you're a good person, that people are thinking highly of you, and that bothers me, and that I don't like that. I don't 
we in Canada have this problem with tall poppy syndrome. It's this thing where people uh, do well and they succeed and so they become the tall poppy and that's the one that gets cut off. That's what we do. As soon as somebody is successful, as soon as somebody's doing well, we say yes, but, but they did it dishonestly. We slander them. We start pulling them down. We start exercising power over them. That's what we need to see. When we're, whenever we're talking about someone else, what we're doing is we're exercising power. And are we going to use that power for good in a godly way? Or are we going to use that power for ill in an ungodly way? And to decide or to determine which it is, we ought to ask ourselves some difficult questions. Question number one has to be, is what you're saying about this person true? Sometimes you say, well, I heard from someone that, well, do you know that the words you're about to speak are true? No, you don't. You don't know that that's true. And, and the truth you speak about that person, it can't just be a partial truth. That's such a trick that we commit. That's one of the reasons why we read from Proverbs 18, verse, or chapter 18, because verse 17 particularly is something that we should keep emblazoned on our hearts, on a card in our wallets that we should take out constantly, especially in our social media-saturated age. The first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. That just means that if I speak first about who you are, people might be convinced I'm telling the truth. Sounds very convincing. Sounds very legitimate, reasonable and all that. And then somebody else comes along and says, wait a minute, that's not true at all. That's not how that went. And it turns out I'm twisting the story. I'm only presenting part of it. I'm shaping with my words your judgment of that person with bits of truth and bits of dishonesty. And I'm doing it because I want you to judge that person. That's what we need to see. So if people are going to be judged, then let them be judged on the truth. Are the words you're speaking true? Now that's number one, but number two, even if you are speaking the truth, you have to ask yourself, is this the right place to speak these words? Speaking truths about people may be necessary at times, but it may not be necessary in the coffee shop. Maybe it's necessary in their living room when you're talking to them saying, I know that you struggle with this. I saw your struggle with this and you need to, to work on it. And what can I do to help you overcome this? Or maybe we need to talk to a parent or a friend and say, you know what? I heard somebody say this or I saw someone do this. What do, how do I minister to them? How do I help them? That's a good place to ask those questions and to raise those issues. But to just tell anybody and everybody, well, I, I mean, it is, it is lovely, isn't it, to have a bit of gossip. And let's not deny, let's not misunderstand our desire to tell people things 
Because we're in the know. Proverbs 18, verse 8 says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. That's why we consume gossip. It tastes so good. And that's why we offer gossip, because we know people will like it. We have to ask ourselves, when we're talking about anyone, first, is what we're saying true? Second, is this the place to say it? Are these the people to tell it to? Am I speaking these words to build up? Or am I speaking these words just to gossip? And then question number three, we need to ask ourselves, by saying these things, am I helping someone make good decisions, good judgments, or am I leading them to sin? We sometimes lead people to sin, don't we, with our words. Not only does gossip and dishonesty destroy the one we're talking about, but it actually does the speaker harm too. Doesn't Proverbs 18 say that? A fool's lips bring him strife, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. You find similar sorts of things in Proverbs 21 at verse 23. There we read, He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. He protects himself. So are what, is what we're saying, is what we're saying going to lead to blessing? Or is it going to bring judgment upon ourselves and upon those around us? Is it going to lead others into sin? And really what we're, what we're trying to ask here in these three questions is simply this. Is what we're saying loving? That's really what we're being called to, isn't it, in this commandment. We're being called to love. To love as we've been loved. Now that's not a natural thing for us to do. It's not natural because we're born into sin. We became sinners. Our first parents became sinners when they believed the lie. It's important, isn't it, that Jesus in John 8 says that the devil was a liar from the beginning and the children of the devil are liars too. And James 3 in the verses 1 through 12, especially in the verses 9 through 12, talks about the demonic dynamic of lying. We don't always think of that, but, but whether we're a young person, let's say we're 10 or 11 or 12 years old and we're going to go home today and maybe tonight sometimes mom and dad are going to say, wait a minute, did you do that? And that lie that you're going to tell, you need to know. It's connected, if you follow it all the way back, it's connected to the devil. It's connected to his saying to us, don't let anyone rule over you. Don't let anyone be your boss. You are your own boss. That's what he tempted us with in the beginning. He promised us freedom through lies. And we still believe that that's true today. We believe that freedom will come with lies. If I lie, I'll stay out of trouble. If I lie, I'll be free. That's not true. It actually makes it worse. We 
are distrusted then, we are disregarded then, people don't anymore respect us when they know that we're so often lying. And then we struggle with other problems. Thankfully, we are redeemed by a truth-telling God. Our God spoke a word in the Garden of Eden. He said He was going to send a son. And He kept that word, even though it cost Him the most precious thing He had. It was hard for God to tell the truth. It was expensive. It was painful. But He sent His Son, the Son who is the truth. What does Jesus say in John 14, verse 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Indeed, it is in Jesus that we come to understand all truth. It is by surrendering our lives to Him that we can know truth. We can speak truth. We can love truth. That's why the Son of God sent us His Spirit. Jesus in John 16 tells us that the Spirit of Christ applies truth to us. And because we're redeemed, because we have been saved by God in Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, therefore, we ought to be a people who are known for speaking the truth. Speaking the truth in love. That's the, that's the positive application of this commandment. We are to love, love our neighbor and love the truth. Understand that loving our neighbor, which is the overarching theme of commandments 5 through 10, they're all about how we live with each other and how we're supposed to love each other. Loving our neighbor is the underlying spirit that pervades this ninth commandment. And we understand that, I think, on some level. When it's our children, when it's our friend, when it's our loved one who's maybe made a mistake, who's maybe had a bad day and lost their temper, who's maybe just made a poor choice and is struggling, if it's our loved one that's having the hard time, we don't ever tell people about it. We don't spread that around. We don't gossip it. We don't slander them because we love them we want them to be protected we know that their name is precious and that we want them to have a good name and so we don't do it because we love them but surely that has to then transcend not just the people that we love personally but the people that god has brought into our lives to love that neighbor whoever that neighbor might be whom Jesus has died for, whom God has created, who is bound to us, who is our, our unbelieving neighbor, that one who we want to see come to the faith. It doesn't matter who they are. They are to be loved. And when you love someone, sometimes you have to say tough things, but you say it in a loving way. You say it in a way that seeks to build up and encourage and bless. And it's in loving our neighbors that we are to love the truth. To love the truth is to love that which relates to reality. Truth, what is truth? That's Pilate's question, isn't it? What is the truth? That's a hard question. Philosophers wax eloquent about that. What is the truth? Well, the truth is what actually is, isn't it? 
it snowed outside today. That's the truth. How do you know that that's true? Because you can see it. There are other things that we can say about uh, life that, that, that are not as easy to prove. Being kind to people is a better way to live. Now, how do you know that that's true? That's not so easy to prove anymore. And that's the challenge of what is the truth. Sometimes you hear somebody say something and, and you go, wait, ooh, that's not, that's not a good thing to say. And they say, what do you mean? It's the truth. Well, is it though? How do you know it's the truth? It has to correspond. It has to reflect something of reality, but not reality as we want it to be. Reality as God has revealed it to be. What has God said? What has God declared? What has God revealed? That's what we are to speak. In the light of God's Word, in the light of His will, in the light of His plan, we are to speak. And we are to speak the truth candidly. Candidly means you, you have to say it even if it's not easy. Now that, again, must be tempered with love, but we live in a very politically correct age that, that demands tolerance, a tolerance that is actually intolerance, but that's neither here nor there. But where if you say something that offends anybody, you're not allowed to say it. That's, that's not what we're called to as Christians. Sometimes we do have to t- say tough things. We can say them kindly. We can say them carefully, but we need to say them. We are to speak the truth, says the Catechism, candidly, as does the Word of God. Truthful lips, it says in Proverbs 12, verse 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Truthful lips last forever. And in Ephesians 4, at verse 25, The Apostle admonishes us this way, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we we are all members of one body. Now that, that means, among other things, that we should be careful of what we ask people. If you ask someone, do I look good in this? You have to be ready for the truth. If all you want to hear is, you look good in that, then don't ask. But we are to speak the truth candidly, which means that we are to say sometimes to someone, that wasn't good, or that was really good, even if you didn't, if you don't like that person, if you don't think that 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 was a particularly uh, uh, the right thing to do in that moment, but you came to recognize, you came later on to see that they'd done well, and now you have to go back to that person and say, you know, at first I thought you were wrong, but now I see that you're right. We are to admit these things. We are to admit it candidly. And we are to openly acknowledge the truth. We're not too keen on this one, I think. We don't mind speaking our truth. And please notice that phrase, but we don't like others speaking their truth. 
too often we allow ourselves to believe our offense is right. Because I'm offended, you're wrong. But the question we need to ask is not, am I offended? Or even, has what this person said to me been something I agree with? It should be rather, is it the truth? And if it is, we ought to acknowledge it, even if it hurts, even if it's challenging. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. If somebody says something tough to us, and it hurts, but it's right, then we ought to rejoice in it, and we ought to acknowledge it. And in general, we ought to advance our neighbor's honor and reputation. See, here's the, here's the rub. Because not only can you not say anything bad about your neighbor inappropriately or in a way that brings judgment upon them, but you actually have to speak well of them. You have to build them up. You have to defend their honor and speak well of them. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3 in the verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for e- or with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Or as he says in chapter 4, verse 8, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. We will always discover in our community where we live so closely and know so much about each other, lots of reasons to embarrass each other, to slander each other, to expose each other. And that's especially true given that we have such access on social media to such a wide audience and to being able to say things that are maybe quiet. I don't have to say my parents are crazy. I can tweet it. I can Snapchat it. I can use a social media venue to do that. But I'm called to defend, honor, and love those around me, advancing their good name. And in fact, what comes out of my mouth then becomes a reflection of who I am. For as Jesus taught us in Matthew 7, verse 17, from the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. What's in your heart? Is it the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiving blood of Jesus Christ? Have you seen how good God is to you? How loving He is to you? Have you seen how merciful and patient He is with you? Do you see that He doesn't rush to to condemn you, but instead seeks to build you up? To be godly is to do the same for your neighbor. Is to show that you are redeemed in Jesus Christ. Is to be alive. And it's to stand out in the world in which we live. Telling the truth today 
has become an act of revolution. To say homosexuality is wrong is a good way to get fired. To contradict the progressive narrative of reality is a good way to gain opponents. But to speak the truth is one of the ways we testify that we are born again in Jesus Christ and that we gratefully serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's ask him for help in that in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, to tell the truth is hard. It's going to be hard today at home or with our friends. It's going to be hard at work tomorrow. It's going to be hard this week. And Lord, lying is such a devastating sin. It ruins relationships. It breaks fellowship. It causes pain. Help us to see that at the root of our lying is our desire for power. Our desire to compete with You and to be kings over our own hearts and lives. And instead help us, Lord, to humble ourselves. To rejoice to know that Jesus is a much better King. To surrender our lives to Him. And to live by the Spirit of truth. This we pray, Heavenly God and Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.